Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. You've tuned in to Columbia Calling, your first stop for everything you want to know about Columbia. How and where to invest, where to visit. From the Pacific to the Caribbean, the Andes Mountains to the Amazon jungle, Columbia has a slice of everything. Shooting from the hip, answering the questions that need answering. Here's your host, the journalist and hotelier, Richard McCall, shedding some light on the fashionable South American destination of Colombia. It's that time of the week again, folks. This is me, your host, Richard McCall, here in Bogota, Colombia, 2,600 meters closer to the stars. And this is episode 487 of the Columbia Calling podcast. Our very special guest this week is none other than Tyler Schwab of the foundation Libertas International. Now they work on trafficking issues and getting foreigners involved in trafficking uh, here in Colombia and around Latin America while they get them caught by working with local uh, police authorities, law enforcement, and get them sent to jail. Of course, you will have heard about this uh, from the movie, isn't it, called Sound of Freedom? And I mentioned it last week, but we'll be talking about that this week on the Columbia Calling podcast. I also wanted to sort of put it out there as, you know, we, we don't organize the uh, episodes as much as we would like because getting an interviewee each week is sometimes very difficult and people pull out so it's whoever comes forward or whoever is lined up successfully is the person for the following week we do try obviously to uh, you know uh, do it with themes you know if there are elections coming up like last week's with uh, director of columbia risk analysis at guzman always one of the popular if not the most popular guest we have on the show uh but we try we try to do that but in the interim periods it's not always so easy to do something that's newsworthy and we do try and change it up and get some positive stuff and some lightweight stuff of course a few weeks ago you'll remember we did do the episode with uh, Sebastian Ospina, who, who is a paraglider for the great British national team, but he's Colombian from Armenia. And prior to that, we had Sarah Wheeler, the travel writer, very uh, famed travel writer on the show. So we do try and change it up. It just so happens that the last few episodes that came through are quite uh, hard in their nature. But I think that you all enjoyed our recent 1486 with Sergio Guzman because honestly it was phenomenal so we're always looking for interviewees please you know uh, especially those of you who uh, support us on patreon that's www.patreon.com forward slash columbia calling you get priority if you send in ideas for people to be interviewed we'll chase it up uh, i've got a few people simmering away but uh, you know we're always grateful to hear from you and what you might want to hear Big news anyway. So big news on that one. We It is a good show. This is a very good show. It's well spoken with Tyler Schwab. And I know that you will enjoy, uh, well, not, it's not so much the content, but to hear what is being done. And another great thing. This week, it's my birthday. That's right. I'm 47 years old. Can you believe it? I'm a 47-year-old podcaster but at the same time thank you for all your wishes i know they've come in from various parts it's my birthday so i'm actually for the first time in many 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 years having a birthday party so i'll see some of you this weekend uh yeah for a birthday party but then that's it that's all i'm gonna say and we'll be over now to emily hart with the columbia news brief and then from there on we'll be with tyler schwab of libertas international and we'll be talking to him to him about uh, the sound of freedom and other topics along that nature so thank you very much for listening and don't go away the Columbia Calling podcast is sponsored by Latin News, a leading source of political and economic analysis on Latin America and the Caribbean since 1967. Their flagship publication, the Latin American Weekly Report, provides a behind-the-scenes briefing on all the week's key developments throughout the region. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at latinnews.com. We are also sponsored by 
BNB Columbia Tours, which is a leading tour operator providing a wonderful range of exclusive small group shared tours for those over 50, along with customizable private tours to both popular and off-the-map destinations throughout this beautiful and diverse country. If you're interested in experiencing one of their unforgettable journeys through Colombia, be it a shared tour with like-minded travelers or creating a unique private package of your own, just complete the form on the Columbia Calling website, that's www.columbiacalling.co, or the BNB Columbia Tours website, that's www.bnbcolumbia.com, and they'll be in touch within 24 hours to answer all of your questions and to start the planning of your exclusive Colombian adventure. So that's bnbcolumbia.com and latinnews.com. Dot com. Thank you for supporting our sponsors. I'm Emily Hart, and these are your headlines for the week of Monday, 18th of September, 2023. Yet again, Colombia is the most dangerous country in the world to be an environmental leader. This, according to the latest annual report from NGO Global Witness, who registered 60 murders of environmental leaders last year, almost double the murders reported in 2021. Overall, Latin America, with Brazil and Mexico just behind Colombia, is the most dangerous region for an environmental leader, accounting for 88% of the world's cases. The Amazon basin is also one of the most dangerous scenarios, with one in five of the 177 murders recorded globally occurring in the Amazon, according to the new report. Additionally, a new survey by the Fundación Ideas para la Paz reports that 85% of the 568 social leaders who participated in the survey consider that their municipality is unsafe. Threats are the crime that most affect leaders. 22% of the participants stated that they had been victim of threats in the last month. The main reason for those were defending the interests of their communities and expressing their opinion publicly. Fighting between FARC dissidents and guerrilla group the ELN has displaced around 1,400 indigenous people in Nariño. The clashes are territorial disputes between the two groups and have resulted in the injury of several civilians, according to the local community. In two further villages, families are reportedly confined and have had to put up white flags so that the armed groups do not attack. Both of the groups in the dispute are in talks with the national government, The ELN is currently in a ceasefire with military forces. However, the ceasefire does not apply to the disputes between the armed groups, which affects the population left in the middle of these confrontations. The government has filed their Education Reform Bill, which declares education a fundamental right and seeks to make secondary education compulsory. The bill also plans an injection of resources focused on arts and knowledge training, peace and reconciliation, and sport and recreation. The government have also committed to building educational centres in remote parts of the country. And Congress has approved the 502 billion peso budget proposed by Finance Minister Ricardo Bonilla. The amount initially attracted attention as it represents an increase of almost 80 billion pesos from this year's budget. The idea is to reactivate the economy with the increase, and the sectors benefiting most will be education, health and finance. However, there will also be boosts for agriculture, housing, equality and defence. Meanwhile, a cyber attack paralysed the justice system and over 30 other state agencies. This via a ransomware attack on telecoms provider IFX Networks, supplier to the judiciary and the Ministry of Health, among others. Some entities were offline for three days and the data of millions of people has reportedly ended up in the hands of the attackers. Two million court proceedings were halted due to the cyber attack, and the government is still assessing the damage, but has announced that it will be suing IFX. A video went viral this week on social networks, showing armed men posing as guerrillas dressed in military uniforms and black balaclavas threatening women and children in the village of El Manso in Córdoba. It was initially reported that they were from a FARC dissident group, but they were later found to be soldiers from the Colombian army intimidating civilians. The ten soldiers have since been removed from their posts, and the Attorney General's office has announced a full investigation. In Cuba this week for the G77 summit, President Gustavo Petro focused his speech on the climate crisis, 
and the transition to a decarbonised economy. He argued that a Marshall Plan is needed to start investing in economies that are not based in hydrocarbons. The summit is the largest intergovernmental organisation of developing countries in the United Nations, the idea being that Global South countries promote collective economic interests and enhance joint negotiating capacity. Petro will now be headed to New York for the United Nations General Assembly. One of Colombia's most famous artists, painter and sculptor, Fernando Botero, has died at 91 years old. From scenes of daily life to comic renderings of paintings like Sunflowers and the Mona Lisa, Botero's style is iconic and central to Colombia's own modernist movement. A self-taught artist born in Medellin, Botero's inflated and rotund figures are ubiquitous in Colombia and further afield. His canvases were valued at over 2 million US dollars. He lived in cities across the world from Paris to New York, but at the turn of the century donated his entire art collection to Colombia, including works by Monet, Picasso and Bacon, now exhibited free of charge in the Museum of the Banco de la República in Bogotá. He also donated large part of his own paintings and sculptures, giving rise to Plaza Botero in Medellín, his home city which has now decreed seven days of mourning. He was also a passionate advocate of peace, sculpting doves which are still displayed across Colombia today, including in Casa Nariño, the government palace. Those were your headlines for this week. Thanks for listening. And we're back. This is episode 487 of the Columbia Calling Podcast. My name is Richard McCall, your host here in Bogota, 2,600 meters closer to the stars. And my very special guest this week is Tyler Schwab. Tyler got in touch with us. I'm always happy about this when people get in touch and say, listen, you know, I'm doing something. We need to get the news out there. Anyway, Tyler is the director, the founder of Libertas International, and it is a foundation doing incredibly important work within Colombia and elsewhere, but I'm going to let Tyler talk about it. So welcome on the Columbia Calling Podcast. Thanks, Richard. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for, thanks for having, us, uh, having me on and for giving me the chance to talk about what we're doing at Libertas International. It's, it's amazing. Where are you today, uh, Tyler? Uh, I'm in Wyoming today. That's where uh, I, that's where the foundation is based out of. That's where it's that's where my parents live, um, and it's where I can find my R and R is in the great state of Wyoming, out there in the United States. Yeah, I think you might be our first ever guest in 487 episodes in Wyoming. Now, I have been to Wyoming. I have been up there, the Grand Teton, and so on. It's a beautiful, beautiful state. Uh, really, really lovely. Um, so, now down to to the brass tacks here. Tell us about Libertas International and the aim of your foundation. Yeah, um, you know, I'm, I'm so happy to be here on the Columbia Calling podcast because the story of 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 Colombia, the people of Colombia, are so foundational to what we do at Libertas International. Um, Libertas International, in short, uh, exists to support survivors of human trafficking, sex, sexual exploitation in Latin America, and then bring um, the abusers to justice. Uh, and in Colombia, uh, where we're located, a lot of our survivors are located in the city of Medellin. And so what that looks like is uh, a lot of survivors of, of human trafficking who have been abused by foreign men. Mm-hmm. And so our program really wraps uh, our services around them, helps them heal, helps them salir adelante, get ahead. Um, and then uh, working with local law enforcement uh, to bring these foreign men to justice for what they've done uh, to, the, to, to, to the wonderful people of, of Colombia. Tyler, how do you get involved in starting your own foundation of this nature? Because it's not sort of like, say, a normal route, <laughs> you know, it's a Wyoming to creating a, a, you know, a foundation to help, uh, you know, victims of human trafficking and sexual exploitation and bring, you know, foreigners who are exploiting these, 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 well, the youth, uh, let's say, uh, exploiting children and bringing them to justice. How do you fall into this? Yeah, I in Wyoming, I didn't grow up, you know, seeing this and I was living in Wyoming. You're fairly sheltered because, you know, the cows and the buffalo outnumber the people uh, by quite a number. Um, But when I first went to the Dominican Republic, when I first traveled, I saw uh, human trafficking, prostitution, like whatever you want to call it for the first time. And 
I remember the first time I was in the Dominican Republic, I saw like 14, 15 year old girls mm-hmm. hanging out with these, these men from Europe, um, maybe like in their mid sixties. And I put the, all the blame on the, on the girls. I was like, what are they doing here? Why are they hanging out with these old men? putting all the blame on them until um, I learned a little bit more about, about human trafficking, what actually was going on. And that those girls probably had no choice of who they're with that night, what they had to do. Um, they had to accept anything that these guys wanted to do. Cause there's no reason for a 15 year old girl to be hanging out with a, you know, 65 year old guy from, from Europe. Mm-hmm. And then it, it, that's what uh, motivated me to, to do more research, to get to know victims, get to know survivors. Uh, and the stories just, just broke my heart and they continue to break my heart uh, all throughout the region all throughout here in the United States. And in Colombia, the, 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 the case that really broke my heart in Colombia and pulled me into full-time work in Colombia was I was, I got a call from the department of Homeland security here in the United States. And they were telling me about an American guy named Victor Galarza. And you can Google his name. Like he's mm-hmm. been, he's been sentenced to jail. Um, but he was essentially uh, raping little girls, trafficking little girls in Colombia, and then recording the abuse and uploading it to different porn sites, which would essentially ruin the lives of these little girls, having their abuse immortalized in this way. And, and so I, meeting these survivors, seeing this case, and then being open to just how many of these foreigners are doing something like this in Colombia has given me the motivation to do what I'm doing today and to do everything that we can as a foundation to empower these survivors so that they can heal, that they can get jobs, they can go to school, and also ensure that these uh, these men pay for what they've done. And that's how essentially how my story ended up from Wyoming uh, down to down to Colombia and working anti-human trafficking. And and I remember this guy. I know the name Victor Golas. I've re- definitely read about it. He's jailed now. Yes, sir. He's been jailed. He's been. He was sentenced to uh, seventeen and a half years in prison, and then ordered to pay. Um, ordered to pay. I think one hundred fifty thousand dollars in restitution to his uh, nine victims that we're currently aware of, and those same survivors as well. They not only did they did they gain justice against Victor and his associate, uh, Herbert Fletcher, but they're also um, in a current lawsuit against Pornhub, which they consider to be his partner, um, Pornhub and Victor working together to essentially monetize the worst moments of these of these little girls. I um, I listened to a podcast some months ago by a, a very good uh, podcaster, interviewer, um, and Andrew Gold. It's called At the Edge with Andrew Gold. And he interviewed someone who's partner was secretly loading up videos there were age of consent and so on but she had no idea until someone at work saw and her life was totally ruined and and it took so long for her to actually get the legal process to take these videos down these incredibly intimate videos that I think she, I think the story was that she fell into drug addiction and everything else, lost her job. Or I mean, you know, she didn't want to go to her job and so on. This, yeah. this uh, uh, case, you say, you know, Victor Galarza with a, uh, you know, they, you consider Pornhub as his associate. It's got to be an incredibly difficult case to pursue. Yeah, these guys have money. They, they have. Uh, Pornhub gets more hits. I think every every month and Netflix and Amazon combined. And so um, they, it, it is, it's been a long case and it will be a long case. The, the, the thing that brings me hope in this case is it, it's not just the girls from Columbia that are speaking out. I think there's currently like 340 women across the world that are suing Pornhub based mm-hmm. on uh, the abuse that they, that they monetized. And, and the thing with Pornhub is they don't verify the consent. Yeah. Um verify and we tried to work with them of like hey these videos they're ruining this girl's life it's got two million views please take it down and they just they wouldn't do it and so uh in this case we we have some good partners who helped collect us to to some legal action and and it's happening it happens all we have we have a lot of cases where uh these american guys uh will film the abuse they'll upload it to not just pornhub but different yeah. porn sites as well and and in, in in the program that we have in Colombia, um, the average age of survivor that we're supporting is around 14 years old. But the youngest girl in our family, in our survivor family, is actually 19 months old. 19 and so these, months. 19 months. Which um, it, it's a similar case. Uh, foreign man comes down. Um, I can't mention his name yet because he hasn't been sentenced yet. But this is what these guys do. And, um, and they look to find kids and and every once in a while you find someone like this man who, um, abused a 19 month old baby and 
And our mission is the same with helping support this little baby and getting her safe, getting her immediate needs met, and then going after this pedophile, this monster who raped this little baby with the full force of, of, of everything that we can muster. And, and how, how do you, how do you find the victims? Do they come to you or you are alerted by law enforcement because perhaps maybe the Colombian police don't have the ability or something. And so law enforcement comes to you and says, listen, this is a foreign person. You can get them arrested through, you know, different legal processes. How do you find this? Yeah, it's a good, that's a good question. We we find these, these victims two different ways. One is our connection with local law enforcement. We really try to work hand in hand with the law to, to provide support for these survivors. Because we found that, especially like in Colombia, um, we know that the police anywhere aren't perfect, but we have a lot of good police partners in Colombia that have supported us, that want the best for their communities, that that seeing the abuse that's happening in their cities, especially in the city of Medellin, just hurts hurts their heart. They just want to help. So having a really close relationship with them and always, um, you know, we're, we're, we're very mindful too of like, we are from the United States. We in the in the past, in the in relationships between Colombia and the United States, there's always been some kind of deal. There's always been some kind of transaction of we'll help you in exchange for this. The way that we want to help is always just for free. We want to help your people because because we care. We're not going to ask for anything in return. We we just want to help. We want to we want to give this help without any kind of strings attached. Mm-hmm. So that that helps our relationship and that helps us create uh, a, a confidence within the local police force. But then. Um, when we get to refer to a survivor that's been abused by an American, that survivor always knows more. They always know someone else has been abused by the same guy. They are referred to this guy by a different guy. And these people, I think they target pockets of vulnerable um, girls in specific areas of the city, of different areas of Columbia. And so if you know one, you know three. Yeah. And we never want to turn anybody away that wants support, that wants help, that wants healing after going through uh, this type of abuse. Mm-hmm. So more or less, how many people do you think you, you've helped so far with Libertas? Um, in the time that Libertas has been active, we've probably helped around 3,000 survivors of human trafficking across Latin America. Okay. In Colombia, um, in the city of Medellin alone, our current caseload is around 97 survivors with about, I think our, our current percentage is around 74% of those having been abused by a foreign national. And then we have we have survivors in, in Cucuta, Bogota, a few in Cali, uh, a few in Cartagena, but the majority of them are in uh, Medellin. So we, are, I mean, obviously the 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 obvious follow up question is why Medellin? Why is that such a, a you know a hotbed for this? Yeah, you know, that's such a good question. I um I thought a lot about that as far as like why Medellin? Why um why are people going there? Because we've had some cases too, like in Cali and Cartagena, but for every one case we get in Cali, we get 15 in Medellin. Mm. And I, like, obviously anyone that's been to Medellin knows what a great city it is, but anyone that's been to Colombia knows what a great country it is. Uh, There's so many good things about it. The people are so friendly. It's got such a unique history. And um, I don't know the answer to that question, but I, I I tell this to the police partners a lot that I, uh, it's, it's not, it doesn't go unmarked on me just how much Colombia has suffered because of the actions of, and I'll just, I'll talk about the United States. Yeah. Um, in the eighties, you know, we talked about like, you know, Pablo Escobar and the narco wars. It wasn't Colombian money that were, that was funding that narco terrorist. It was, it was money from Miami. It was the money from New York. It was an American addiction that was funding the violence in Colombia uh, during that time of the, of the eighties and early nineties. And now I think even now the Columbia continues to suffer because of the sex addiction that the United States has of people that are coming down, not only consuming, you know, drugs and Tusi and all this different stuff, but also looking for the most vulnerable in Colombia and looking to abuse them too. And so Colombia continues to suffer because of the addiction of the United States. It's something that's not lost on me to where I don't know why people go to Medellin to do this. I don't really want to get inside these people's heads. But what I do know is every time I communicate with Colombian law enforcement, I it's not lost on me that Colombia has suffered so much from the addictions that the United States has and that we're committed to do everything that we can to ensure that the people that have suffered because of this addiction get the support they need to move forward with their life. Obviously, you know, your 
your foundation is aimed at oh, helping the survivors and some aftercare, you know, helping the survivors. But we have to work together to stop it at the source, so to stop the people from coming down. Would you, I mean, I'm getting this image now of those horrible old European, North American men that used to be in Thailand. Is that what's sort of moving to Medellin, or is I mean, is that what we're seeing? Or just a shift in, in, in the geography of this? A good question. I, uh, I think they, they they still go to Thailand. I think I think they still go and abuse those kids in Thailand. And but like I, I think in the past, people only assumed that you could you could get away with this, or you could do this in a place like Thailand. Like Thailand was the place if you wanted to abuse a kid, you had to go there. Mm. Uh, and now I think people are discovering that you don't need to go that far to to do it. You can go to Colombia, you can go to Dominican Republic, you can go to Uganda, or you can do it from the from your own home. I, the the webcam phenomenon that's going down, the online exploitation, like it's possible for someone to to be trafficked, to be exploited without ever leaving leaving their bedroom, leaving their leaving their house. And um, I just. I just feel for the Colombian people that, that have that have suffered because of these predatory men. And I think it's uh it's universal. I think people go, uh they do it all over the world. I think Thailand yeah. is most famous for it. Um and with the with Colombia, with the violence going down, the reputation of you know, in the, in the when I tell my parents I'm going to Colombia, they still get a little nervous because they grew up in the nineties and the eighties. Yeah. They don't know because I haven't been here that it's it's probably one of the safest countries in latin america and one of the most beautiful and i think people are discovering that and it attracts a certain kind of tourist that end up looking for that illegal activity and i suppose that that medellin in this respect has the infrastructure doesn't it and and also there's that and i'm probably getting in trouble for saying that but there's that the fashion of the narco heritage uh you know very much uh you know what we saw from the 80s and 90s then depicted in movies there's a there is an uh, unseemly glamour and this very much permeates a lot of the uh, levels of society in medellin i think as well uh obviously medellin is going is is very much talked about because of the gentrification taking place in places like el poblado and laurel is pushing out the local people airbnb so these guys come in you know, rent an apartment, a luxury apartment in, for pittance in dollars or euros or pounds, and then do what they do. I mean, we uh, once, twice or three times a year, we always hear of some old English guy dying in a jacuzzi or something, you know, with, usually with drugs in his system. And then on the, the on the, uh, you know, the CCTV cameras, you'll see sort of three girls running away and stuff. And we know that this, so that, I mean, Medellin seems to have something there. That's not to say that Bogota doesn't, of course it does, but it's not the same type of city to visit. Bogota is a difficult city. It's a big capital city with all the trappings, whereas in Medellin, you can be contained, I think, in these areas. It's a much easier, and it sounds trivial to say so, but the climate attracts as well because it's like a holiday but then if we talk about climate there's cartagena and cartagena is overrun with with sex workers uh i mean if you just sit in the is it the the plaza de los coches there with the archway by the torre del reloj del reloj and of an evening and you'll see every age and every type of and it's weird because i don't know what the authorities really are doing uh because on the one hand you can't 100% outlaw, let's say this, because it's impossible. So what are you going to do? Push them to another area? Push them? I, I don't, you know, I don't, for me, the issue is, how do we stop it from the very beginning? How do we uh, invest in, I don't know, uh, you know, dignified living experiences so people don't have to or aren't at risk at this type of thing or don't put their children forward or don't allow their children to be in these in this situation so i think there's too many things uh, at the moment but you know that cartagena like the number one destination in colombia should be so overrun is it's a very big concern and then of course medellin has a reputation i i just don't know i mean is your is is there something in Libertas International that you're you're going to start trying to work on the ground? I've talked to other 
NGOs. Uh, that's an NGO run by a a lady who was adopted from Medellin and brought up in Holland, and it's called uh, Mi Barrio Mi Sueño, and she works with like like uh, victimized women. And you know, you can tell that's on the ground, that's helping. And then these women get, you know, there's a dignity, there's a strength, and of course, this will then get passed on to their children. And I see that as a social change. Are you guys uh, going to get involved in in this way as well? Yeah, that's a. It's such an interesting conversation that you bring up um, as far as like prevention and what to do about prevention because, yeah, Cartagena is overrun and it's just so sad to see so many vulnerable people as, as uh, in that in that situation. And I'm a, I'm a big believer that, um, you know, people sometimes come back and tell me that prostitution is the world's oldest profession. And I believe that it's the world's oldest oppression where it's men purchasing women. These women are almost always extremely vulnerable um i don't i haven't met a little girl yet that wants to grow up and be um a sex worker but on the on the on the prevention side like i think it is so important to work with the youth in the very beginning because the way the culture is shifting uh we see this in medellin a lot working with with just in the prevention efforts in some of these barrios is um these girls they're they're being taught on TikTok or online or through influencers, or whatever, that you can get a sugar daddy, that you can get an OnlyFans, or that uh the kind of the pretty woman facade that if you get into prostitution young, you have all this money and have all this freedom. And and it's just it's just not real. Like it's a world of it's a it's a world of violence, it's a world of drugs, a world of exploitation. And so it's we're almost like fighting against the culture in that aspect, which is a it's a really hard fight, you know, honestly, to fight against the culture and 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 the way the world is shifting. But we we try. We're we're doing our best effort to to try with those with those communities and those barrios and those vulnerable women, those vulnerable children in those barrios. On the other side, um, we believe that the best prevention, um, as far as on the on the on the demand side, these foreign men, is fear. And so our thing is we invest a lot in in the in the portion of justice for our nonprofit of when a survivor comes into our family, doing everything that we can to. Um, help the authorities arrest the bad guys, get a really good prosecution, and then take all this guy's cash. Mm. We believe that if you if you if you do that, like a case like Victor Galarza or Michael Roberts or um, Orion Depp or any of these American guys that have gone down in 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 recent um, in recent months, recent years, putting that in in a, in a place like El Espectador, where it's like Victor Galarza sentenced to seventeen and a half years in jail. He's uh, whole life as a sex offender uh, had his passport taken away and they took 200 grand from him that is that's a, we believe that's a pretty good prevention um tool because mm-hmm. people might see that and be involved in the same type of activity or want to be involved in the same type of activity and if you see those consequences it makes it so the crime is too risky to participate in mm-hmm. and then lo- thus lowers the demand and so that's kind of our hope is once we once we celebrate victories in the justice system to blow those up to make it known so that the bad guys will see it and hopefully it creates enough fear for them to divert their efforts elsewhere. very much on the deterrent fund front and of course it's going to happen so you know you guys need to be there do you remember uh, do you remember it would have been about three or four years ago now i think he was a canadian guy who used to sort of advertise again it's suppose I suppose it was consenting adults. We're not talking about the exploitation of minors. Uh, a guy called Austin Summers, uh, and he had a whole thing about how to pick up girls in Medellin and selling this plan and so on. And he's just like, what? He got chased out of Colombia. I mean, after after that became a scandal. But it was that this should happen means that that you know how I think I get uh, getting to the point is. For him to be able to do that has to have the tacit approval of others. And how involved then is sort of like organized crime or the Oficina de Envigado and other groups in this industry? Yeah, we found that the bad guys, they do know each other. When when we work a case, uh, for example, the Galarza case, the the Michael Roberts case, the Orion Depp case, um, these guys always know other people that are help facilitating this abuse. They know the Airbnbs and maybe don't ask as many questions. Yeah. Um, and the government officials, it's so that's such a good question. Um, I'll answer the first one. The organized crime, we don't come across a lot of organized crime at Libertas. We've only had a couple of cases 
And the the cases that we have, uh, we do have some survivors from the ELN mm-hmm. and the, the and the FARC um, girls that were trafficked in these armed groups that were forced to do terrible things. That's a little bit outside of our, mm-hmm. what our main um, focus is. But like we said, if someone comes to us for help, we're never going to turn them away. Yeah. And the survivors from those cases are just they're just angels that have just gone through hell with these groups. And so we wanted to support them. Um, the government offices, we don't get a lot of support from people outside the police. The police that we work with are very supportive, but like, um, the mayor's office in Medellin, um, some of these higher ups, he's obviously in the Envigado, we don't get a lot of support from them. And, you know, there could be a couple of different reasons for that. We've tried to reach out, haven't had a lot of success. Um, these people do bring in money. The, these tourists do bring in money to the community. They do, they do purchase Airbnbs. They do, um, they invest in the city in some ways, but I really believe that what they, what they take from the city is a lot more than what they give. Mm-hmm. And I wish we got more support on that end and hopefully we can in the future. Well, the image left the stain, no, the victimization of the children and, and whomever else, but the image left on Medellin, it's there to stay. It's, it, that doesn't, this is not something you wash away. It, it stays no. on. Now, I think we need to move on here. There's this movie out, which I will say openly and out there that I have not seen. Sound of Freedom. I have not seen it. I don't know if I'll see it because it probably just upset me uh, because of, I, I would imagine, inaccuracies, in, especially in how Colombia is depicted. You have seen it from your perspective with Libertas International. Tell us about uh, you know, sound of free, but freedom. Does it really depict a situation in Colombia? Is it something that we can say this is important that this is being seen? Can this help? <laughs> what do you think, uh, 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 Tyler? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, the sound of freedom. It's uh, it's start a conversation, which I think is good. I think it's good that people are aware. People are having that conversation of what human trafficking is um it would be my hope that after people see the sound of freedom that they would one you know find an organization they can donate to because they have that the desire to help or their heart's broken or whatever like just direct that passion that direct that intention to something positive um i hope that they find educational resources to to educate yourselves on what human trafficking looks like because uh the sound of freedom it depicts a, a girl from honduras um who's kidnapped in Honduras, put in a shipping container and taken to Colombia. That can happen. That type of trafficking can happen, but it's probably 1% or less of the type of cases that we have, or the type of cases around the world. Um, I haven't had a case where mm-hmm. someone's been taken in a container. The, 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 but in Colombia, you don't need to traffic a Honduran girl to Cartagena and exploit her uh, in Cartagena. Um, in Colombia, there's no shortage, unfortunately, of vulnerable girls, vulnerable women, that these traffickers look to exploit. Mm. Uh, my experience in Colombia is, uh, I'll just speak on on the on the foreigner side of how they're trafficking these 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 survivors, these victims in Colombia, is they're reaching out via social media. Yeah. If a guy, if a, uh, for example, the uh, the Orient Depp case, uh, he was living in in the in the in Bello in Medellin, and he was reaching out to uh, victims in Bello. Uh, the city where he lived. There was no need to bring anybody from, even from El Poblado or or any kind of other place in 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 Medellin. There was enough vulnerable girls in his neighborhood that he didn't need to um, that he didn't need to go elsewhere to traffic his victims. And even like we had a case here in the United States maybe twenty years ago of a girl that was kidnapped in Salt Lake City. Her name is Elizabeth Smart. And when she was kidnapped, everybody was looking for this girl because her name was on milk cartons, her face was everywhere. Everybody and everybody was looking for this little girl. And that's not what traffickers want. They want the person that no one's looking for. They want the person that comes from a single, single parent household. They want the the homeless youth, the Venezuelan youth that maybe is begging for money in the streets of Medellin. That's the type of victim that they're looking for because they're more vulnerable. And when they go missing, nobody is, is looking for them. Yeah, and so um, Sound of Freedom. It, it, it started a conversation with that, which I believe is good. Uh, it's good that people talk about the issue and 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 discuss what can be done. Um, but it is not accurate to what I've seen in Colombia. Um, and so I hope that people would get educated on what it could actually look like yeah. uh, to be able to really make an impact. Well, I mean, that's my thing. If if we're talking about it, this is publicizing and this is drawing some light 
on a situation. It does seem to me far-fetched that a girl will be trafficked from Honduras to Colombia, when in Colombia there are any number of at-risk uh, people. And of course, with the you know disaster in Venezuela, which of course we've seen firsthand here in Colombia, Cartagena, Medellin, etc. So that to me does sound far-fetched. That's not to say it may have happened. We have to step around that. It's not to say, but I would suggest that maybe even Colombians or Venezuelans or Haitians or whomever trying to go north up to the United States, those who cross through the Darien Gap or those who you know get up are more likely to be exploited on their way up rather than being shipped back down. But I, who knows what exactly has happened now? So let's get. I mean, this is a. Uh, this, it's it's such a hard thing to talk about, but to tell us the process uh, of you know you, we, you've named some names, uh, Victor Garlarza, uh, you know named uh, Michael Roberts, you named Orion Depp. What is the process to capture these people? Uh, you are approached by a victim who says it's this guy. Then you obviously have to verify because imagine you caught the wrong guy. Imagine that the wrong person is there. Um, but what is the process? You find these people. You alert authorities. You alert the international community. How how does it work? So the first thing we do is when a survivor comes to us and starts telling us what's happened. The first thing we do before we do anything is make sure this girl is okay. Yeah. So we work our way up just like Maslow's hierarchy of needs where it's like, are you, are you fed in your house? You have food in your house. Are you safe? Are you going to school? What do you want to do? Like what's your educational path look like? What do you, what are you missing in your, in your healing process? Cause the girl, they can give all kinds of intel and give all kinds of information. Um, but if they're not sure where they're going to get their meal this evening, then none of that matters. Mm -hmm. And so the first thing we do is, um, just make sure that they're okay. Make sure they're safe. Make sure that they're empowered and work uh, on the aspect of their healing and their educational journey. Um, so then they feel comfortable enough to talk about what happened. Mm -hmm. um, when they, because usually when they come to us, they don't start naming names at first. Um, they just say that something bad has happened to them and they need help. And so we work on them. We work. We work with them on that on that facet and let them guide how they want to be healed, how they want their life to progress. When they feel comfortable enough to start naming names um, of, of the bad guys, of the foreigners who have hurt them, we have a really good partnership with with the Colombian police as, and then the international police uh, across the world, both the agency Homeland Security and Interpol. Mm -hmm. And those are the main mainly the, the, the two agencies that we work with when it comes to a foreign uh, national. And so how it works is we have we have a former uh, police officer on our team um, that works with the authorities to let them know what's happened. When the survivor is ready, we'll help set up an interview with these local authorities. They'll come down to Medellin. We'll, we'll rent a hotel room or an Airbnb, make sure that there's snacks, coffee, mm -hmm. um, that is comfortable. And the interview takes place. The, the interview could be as short as an hour or it could be as long as seven, eight hours, depending on what exactly has happened to the survivor. And we set it up to where it's a trauma-informed environment where the survivor feels safe. They feel protected. And the agencies can get everything they need to get to build a case uh, on this foreign man, this 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 American, whoever it is, um, to be able to start an investigation into what exactly has happened. And it it uh, usually when we have, because you mentioned like not getting the wrong guy, mm. when you have a survivor feel safe enough and empowered enough to where she's okay, she'll tell her story. She'll tell about her journey with us to other victims of a similar foreigner and then they'll come to us as well and before you know it we have four or five girls who are who are abused by the same guy once that happens um we maintain a relationship with law enforcement we ensure that interview happens um and that anytime law enforcement needs additional information from that survivor that they go through us so they're not getting hit up constantly by different people that all the information is asked just by our social worker or by our ex-police officer and um, then we leave it in, in, the, in the law enforcement's hands. Um, our ex-police officer as well, his job is to make sure these cases don't that don't fall through the cracks, to make sure they're reminded that this is this still needs to be done. But we're we're very cognizant that that, that the, the work of justice needs to be done by the law. 
Mm. And so we try to help facilitate whatever way we can to help make that happen. But our main role in the in the pursuit of justice is reminding law enforcement, helping them with maybe little things that they need here and there, but more than anything, ensuring that our survivors are taken care of so that they feel confident and safe enough to share their story um, one or two different times when the need arises to be able to arrest these guys. Of course, there's a, you know, there's a obvious issue of re-victimization of these poor people reliving and re- in there. And so uh, you have a big, capable team of social workers and people offering psychosocial help and, and care. Uh, you say you have a former police officer. Do you have ex-military as well? Because I can only imagine that you you come up against some pretty unpleasant people who are obviously going to look after their interests. Yeah, it's it's definitely something that we would like to have in the future. We don't currently have a uh, ex-military, but with more funding means more hires, and that means that we can hire uh, those expertise. And because we do, we 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 we've noticed it as as Libertas continue to grow, the more it's almost like. Uh, the more evil you encounter, like Victor Galarza, for example, Victor Galarza was evil and he was an animal, but he's also a total loser who lived in his mother's basement in New York City. Uh, he came to Medellin, pretended to be a king because he happened to have, you know, a couple thousand dollars to his name. But when he went back home, he's a nobody. All his watches were fake. His Nikes were fake. They were they were called like Nibes or something. They looked like Nikes, but you bought them just total knockoff. But the more we grow, the more we find maybe these Americans, these foreigners who are a little more connected to organized crime. We get referred cases like like we talked about earlier from the ELN, mm. where I mean these people are legit dangerous that will look they're looking to look after their interests. And so uh, as we continue to grow, we hope that more funding comes in so we can hire more personnel, specifically one focused just on security for the the survivors living in living in our family and also uh, our staff who's on the ground day to day working against these bad guys yeah i did notice that one of your staff has their face blurred out you know i think he's he must be an investigator for you and so on because um yeah have you been threatened for your for your work yeah i've uh I've, i've been threatened uh i've been threatened once um there's the by one guy in columbia i was threatened by um we had this case of uh, an American guy who was trafficking drugs from Colombia, Venezuela to the United States. His name is uh, Ruby. I, I can't remember his last name at the current moment, but um, he already had an alert out on him by um, by law enforcement because he was a, he was a drug trafficker. And um, when they arrested, they arrested him in Miami. The Customs and Border Patrol arrested him. And they took his phone. They were going through his phone. They found some pretty intense images on there of a little girl who was being abused. Um, and they essentially watched her grow up in these videos mm. starting at seven. And they uh, the video stopped when she was 12 when, when he was finally arrested. And it didn't take long for um, them to confirm that it was his own daughter. And so uh, the case was referred to me. And um, this little girl is amazing. Like she's one of the most incredible human beings I've ever met. Uh, I received an award last uh, last month from the Colombian police, and she was by my side getting it with me. Uh, she was taking pictures with it. She's 15 now. She's an amazing, amazing human being. Um, currently in this really cool soccer league, she's she's in a, some kind of tournament up in a different city uh, in Medellin at the current moment. But during um, during court. Uh, the, the guy made a threat against me in court when I, uh, I was asked by the judge to go up and give my testimony on my work with this little girl. And I just, I talked about what a blessing that she was, how amazing that she is and how she's taking every single resource we've given her. She's studying, she's enjoying life. Part of her, her healing involved us paying for a gym membership to take control of her body again, to feel like she had control over her body again. And she's an amazing, amazing girl. And I told the judge all this, and he he didn't like that I was uh, that I was giving so much credit to his daughter, and basically in spite of him, of like she's doing so well in spite of this monster that she, that she this that, that's her father. I, I even feel weird calling her that the guy who gave her life, but he's not he's not her father. And he in court he proceeded to make a threat against me, um, that like hey when I get out of court jail like I'm gonna come see you or whatever, and and uh, the judge heard him and gave him. Um, you know, 25 and a half years in jail and and this guy's in his mid fifties now. So I doubt, I doubt he survives the process, but it's, it's, uh, it's something to take into account. 
um, the threats against our lives and 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 the work that we do because these people do want to protect you know the their merchandise what makes them money and um, we're not we're very cognizant that we're not going to catch every single one that there are yeah. gaps in the justice system where some may fall through the cracks and so it's security's um, it's talked about a lot with our team and it's something we yeah. definitely want to focus on in the future as well. I would say it's a a key issue as you grow. So now here we are. We have to we have to plug libertasfreedom.org. Uh you are entirely donor funded, right? So how do people how do people uh donate money to your foundation? The best way is to go to libertasfreedom.org. Uh the donate button it shows up, I think, seven or eight times on that front page, because obviously that's what keeps us funded. <laughs> and uh the, the I could say that the best thing that people could do for us is become a monthly supporter, is to go to libertasfreedom.org and then donate monthly, uh, whatever you can get, whatever you can give monthly, um, you know, $25, um, whatever that translates to, you know, in pounds and euros. Um, that allows us more than anything to count for money in the future to be able to budget in advance. And like our the the spirit that we want to permeate through Libertas is when a survivor reaches out to us for help, we never want to turn them away. And the way that we plan on never turning somebody away is uh, through those monthly donations. And so even even last week, we were referred a case um uh, of two little girls, ages 12 and 14, who were being groomed online to send pictures to this group of Americans. And they got invited to this finca party uh, down in Medellin. And luckily, we intervened before that finca party ever happened. Mm-hmm. Extremely vulnerable, extremely, extremely um, poor little girls. And they came to us and they like, we we need help. Like, this is what's happened to us. This is what almost happened to us. And because of our monthly supporters, we were able to accept those two girls into our survivor family to continue to support them to help them get therapy to get them back into school and get them on the path to healing and empowerment and it only happened because people um people went to libertasfreedom.org in the past and are giving monthly and so that's that's the best way that people can help us is to donate donate funds and to become monthly monthly giving i, I just uh, just something occurred to me uh, and also not say do you guys sort of monitor social media like the facebook uh, expat groups and forums that are out there because some of the these conversations get pretty close you know obviously they're they are you know experts these people are experts in their messaging and what they're doing but you know you i am a member of the only i don't i don't participate but i am a member of a forum and every now and then i look on it uh it's an expat group and there are, you know, always, always people saying that they've been robbed by a girl on a Tinder date and stuff. But then there are others who get pretty close to the topic of where to find girls and stuff like that. Do so. Do you guys monitor social media inter- uh, activity? Yeah, we do. We we have people in those groups as well. Some of, like the Medellin expat group. That's or, the one I'm, I'm. I'm I'm part of that. And I sometimes I okay. every now and then I I I leave it because I'm just like this. I can't stand it. But then as a journalist, yeah. my my curiosity gets the better of me again. Yeah, yeah that that group specifically. There's there's a that that group is a cesspool. Like there are yeah. some just awful awful people in that group that have awful awful conversations and are just mm. so even like on a like on a human level so rude to each other oh yeah uh even when they're not discussing you know things of that nature but we do have people in those groups and um when people comment things like that when people talk like where to find girls where to um where to engage in legal activity like i don't know if they realize that they- this is a public forum <laughs> and their name and their picture are, are, are on there. And we've had cases in the past where um, someone will say something in that group that just make, make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. Mm. And so we'll take the person's name. We'll take the person's picture. And when we're in interviews with a, with a victim who has confirmed to have been abused by an American or a, a foreign national, we'll show them this person's picture of like, Hey, by, by chance, do you happen to know this person? Give them a picture mm. of these people commenting and there's been cases where they have confirmed that yeah he 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 did this to me he he was trying to do this to my friend and uh we've had some success in that case and we have some current cases that are currently progressing based on people that we flagged in these expat groups mm-hmm. and so like it's 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 beneficial for us as far as like uh, gaining intel and and putting people on on our radar to yeah. where 
maybe they're not we don't have a confirmed victim of them yet but if you're if you've been flagged by us like i like i love our i love our organization and we always tell our survivors that we are more dangerous than the bad guys because of our connections and because of 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 the way that we can pursue justice on your behalf so when you're scared when you're nervous like don't ever forget that you are more dangerous than the people that hurt you because you know us because you're connected to us and because of the connections that we have with Columbia law enforcement, with foreign law enforcement, and the relationship that we go together, that we have together, that in the end, uh, you have a better chance of succeeding than they do. And of course, and no vigilante justice, nothing of that type. Okay, stay away from that. You need to stay on the legal side of things, and that's thing. What sure. you, the message that you have been uh, maintaining throughout this conversation. I think that's a, uh, an ideal place to bring this to an end, an incredibly tricky conversation, delicate, uh, of course, but something that needs to be discussed. And obviously it needs to be brought out there into, let's say the, it's, it's of interest to the public. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it, it needs to be, worked on so can i recommend all of you go to the website libertasfreedom.org we will of course uh when the when the podcast comes out we will of course put this on our facebook page and everywhere else maybe i'll slide it into the median expat group <laughs> and see i don't know i'll probably get i'll get so much vitriol for putting it on there that i mean that's why i don't ever comment on these things because there's just yeah. so much hatred um Anyhow, that's an, that's another story. Listen, Tyler, thank you so much for your time and sharing so openly what is an incredibly unpleasant uh, situation and dangerous, and you know, I mean, really plumbing the depths of a cesspool in human society. It really is. So, uh, congratulations in your work. Uh, I don't want to say long may it last. I would like to say that it, it would come to an end. <laughs> But it won't. I mean, that's the truth. So, Tyler Schwab, thank you very much for sharing this story on the Columbia Calling podcast. No, thank you, Richard. And I th thank your audience for checking out the website and for listening to my words, listening to our story. And um, and yeah, I don't know if we're ever going to end this, just like you said. But what we can do is make an impact in the lives of a survivor that they can study, that they can heal, that they can see justice. And if uh, if you only do it for one person uh it made all this worth it so i appreciate the support and i appreciate the platform thank you very much thank you very much to tyler schwab of libertasfreedom.org do check out the website do support them if you can this has been the columbia calling podcast episode 487 thank you for listening we'll be back next week with more columbia related uh well content so thank you again and goodbye the Columbia Calling podcast is sponsored by Latin News, a leading source of political and economic analysis on Latin America and the Caribbean since 1967. Their flagship publication, the Latin American Weekly Report, provides a behind-the-scenes briefing on all the week's key developments throughout the region. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at latinnews.com. We are also sponsored by... BNB Columbia Tours, which is a leading tour operator providing a wonderful range of exclusive small group shared tours for those over 50, along with customizable private tours to both popular and off-the-map destinations throughout this beautiful and diverse country. If you're interested in experiencing one of their unforgettable journeys through Colombia, be it a shared tour with like-minded travelers or creating a unique private package of your own just complete the form on the columbia calling website that's www.columbiacalling.co or the bnb columbia tours website that's www.bnbcolumbia.com and they'll be in touch within 24 hours to answer all of your questions and to start the planning of your exclusive columbian adventure so that's bnbcolumbia.com and latin news Dot com. Thank you for supporting our sponsors.
tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. 